Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. This morning we're picking back up with our Joyful Life series, the verse-by-verse study through the book of Philippians. And uh, hopefully you haven't forgotten what we're studying here in the book of Philippians. It's been a few weeks, so... Uh, you know, but the, the title says it all, the series says it all, The Joyful Life. And Paul is talking about how to live the joyful life as a Christian regardless of your circumstances. And he's the right guy to tell us that because as he's writing this letter, just by way of reminder, he is where? Where is Paul when he's writing this letter? He's in prison. He's in Rome in prison. And so he's, he's penning this letter from a perspective that says, listen, you can have joy even when your circumstances are hard. You can have joy because joy is gladness regardless of circumstance. And so uh, we're going to continue our study this morning. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, stand with me, and we will read beginning in verse 1, where the Apostle Paul says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and may uh, share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Father, thank you for your word this morning. We ask you to just come now and speak into our hearts. Lord, you know every one of us. You know our thoughts. You know our deeds. You know our needs, Lord. You know our wants. You know everything about us. We don't have to hide from you. This morning, you're calling us not by works but by grace you're calling us to believe in your one and only son who gave himself up for us so that we could be justified before you so we ask you this morning lord if there is in any way shape or form some religiosity in our hearts that is drawing us away from the grace that you have given through your son jesus christ that is the means of our righteousness, that you reveal that this morning, that you help us, Lord, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Son this morning. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Did anybody notice the, the word that continued to be repeated throughout the 11 verses we read? Did any words stick out? Okay, righteousness, what else? Okay, loss. Circumcision. Okay. There's one that, that was repeated more than any of those. It's the word confidence. The word confidence. I want to talk to you about what it means to be confident in Christ. We have a, a concept of what confidence means in our culture, and yet the Bible defines for us a different kind of confidence. You see, confidence in the world 
is self-reliance. It's self-assurance. It's focused on me. And we know that if, if that's the case, if, if my confidence is focused on me as it relates to God, I'm in big trouble. Because the Bible tells us that, you know what? The only thing that we can produce in and of ourselves in our natural state as we are born is death. Because we're sinners. We need the grace of God in our life. If I'm relying on myself, I'm in big trouble. That's worldly confidence. There's a confidence that we can have that is, that is obtained by grace through faith. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. There is a confidence that you can have in Jesus Christ that is an assurance that no one can take from you. There is a confidence, there is a concreteness in Jesus Christ that you can, folks, you can bet your life on it that everything that Jesus said would happen would happen for you. But at the same token, if you are relying on yourself, which is religion, if you're religious and not in relationship with Jesus, you're operating under the wrong confidence. Confidence is a very tricky attitude. It's a lot like um, humility. The moment that you think that you have it, you've lost it. Confident people don't have to tell themselves they're confident. They just are, right? So again, there, there's two different types of... Uh, well, actually, the definition of confidence, according to Webster, is a feeling or consciousness of power or reliance, the quality or state of being certain. Confidence will get you places. Maybe not where you think, though. There's two types. Confidence that exists in the world that leads to death and confidence in the Bible that leads to life. The worldly confidence, according to Success Magazine, online edition, important note, is this. True confidence is a feeling of self-assurance that is grounded in authentic experience of our own ability, perspective, and sufficiency. Again, the focus is on self. The direct opposite of that is biblical confidence, confidence that is self-insufficient, that is grounded in authentic relationship and trust for the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That is biblical confidence. Interesting enough, what the world calls Confidence, the Bible calls foolishness, to trust in yourself. If our confidence is in ourselves, we will be put to shame. But to the contrary, if our confidence is in Jesus, we will never be put to shame. Somebody say amen. That is a good word. If you put your confidence in yourself, you will be put to shame, guaranteed. But if you put your confidence in Jesus, you will by no means be put to shame. If God is sovereign, and he is, it's not a hypothetical, then we know that he has a plan for our lives. And our confidence then ought not be in our abilities, but in his. If he has the plan and he's called you to it, then he will equip you to walk the walk. Amen? Why is it when we get put on a path that we, we, we become, you know, self-conscious and we feel like we can't measure up to what God's asking us to do. You know why. Because you're relying on the wrong person. You're relying on yourself. I can tell you time after time after time in the positions that God has put me in, I never feel equipped for it. I never feel like, Oh, oh man, I was made for this. Never. It's always a stretch. So listen, if you're in a place this morning and you're feeling like, I'm not sure I'm cut out for this, oh, that's a great place to be. Because your reliance has to be on God, not yourself. And that's a great thing. God is going to always put you in places that you have to rely on him. You know, contrary to popular belief, which I, I, I've said this cliche Christian statement before, God never gives you more than you can handle. Wrong. God always gives you more than you can handle because you have to rely on him. But he, he will never, ever put you in a position where 
where it's destined for failure. He gives you the empowerment to do whatever it is that he's asking you to do. The question is, will you rely on him or yourself? If you rely on yourself, you will not make it. Listen, if we rely on our own abilities, we will never, ever attain to the level of living that we're called to. If you're relying on your own strength to live out these biblical principles in your life, you will never, ever be able to do it. That's why the Holy Spirit came inside of you, to empower you, to equip you, to help you along the way so that you can live the life that you're called to live. It's super super important that we understand this, folks, that self-empowerment, which is worldly confidence, will lead to living living a life of self-fulfillment and satisfaction. It will be all about you. Spirit empowerment, which is biblical confidence, will lead to a life of selflessness and sacrifice. How do I know which one I'm living by? Well, look at your life. Are you living for you or are you living for other people? It's real simple. You're living for other people. You're living under this spirit empowerment. If you're living for yourself, you're living under this worldly empowerment. Let me illustrate this. You guys know Nadab and Abihu from the Old Testament. They were Aaron's sons. And Aaron's sons, they were filled with a worldly confidence. And in this moment of just an incredible moment of God moving in the midst of the children of Israel, Nadab and Abihu in this worldly confidence stepped up and offered strange fire to God and he struck them dead on the spot. Why? Because they were reliant on themselves. This was a sacred moment, and they, uh, they, they began to move in the, in the flesh. Saul, King Saul, the first king of Israel, remember when he was, they were, uh, the, the ch- children of Israel were getting ready to go up against the Philistines, which is no small feat. They, they had to be reliant on God. And yet they were waiting for Samuel to get there to make a sacrifice to God before they went into uh, the, the battle. Samuel didn't show up. So Saul, after seeing the people starting to get squirmy and starting to, uh, you know, flee from the moment, they're like, oh, man, the, the, the prophet's not even showing up. I'm not going to war against these people. There's no way that we can win. So Saul, in the moment of being filled with this worldly confidence, says, I'll make the sacrifice. And you know what happened? He lost his kingdom because of it. David Remember when David, after, you know, slaying tens of thousands and and having victory after victory after victory, was filled with worldly confidence. And he said uh, to, to Joab, number the people. Let me see what kind of great kingdom I have. And in that moment, the moment he did that, God judged Israel because of David's choice. The awesome thing is that God gave David a choice in, in, in the judgment. Don't you wish God would do that to you? Like, here's three things I'm going to do. You can choose one of them, but I'm going to do one of them. That's what he did to David. He told David, you know, I'll, uh, y- you can either choose three years of famine, three months of devastation by the sword uh, via your enemies, or three days of the sword of the Lord by way of pestilence on the land. And the angel will come and destroy throughout the territory of Israel. And David said, I will choose to fall in the hand of the Lord. And in that moment, 70,000 people died. 70,000 people in Israel died because of David's worldly confidence. The attributes of worldly confidence are death, folks. If you rely on yourself, it will lead to death. Physical death, yes, but spiritual death. God's not calling you into religion. He's calling you into relationship. So biblical confidence is everything about Jesus Christ. Your reliance is not on you at all. It's on him. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. There are attributes of biblical confidence that we can see in our text this morning. There are three of them, and I want to show that to you this morning. Number one, biblical confidence will produce Biblical joy. Look at verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. 
When you hear the word finally in this, in this text, you're thinking, wait a second, he's only in the beginning of the third chapter. How can it be finally? Because Paul's a pastor. And when, when a pastor says finally, much like a, you know, a, a captain in, a, in an airplane says, you know, hey, we're getting ready for landing, you know you have 30 minutes left. When a pastor says finally, you know you have about 30 minutes left. So it's great. You know, Paul's setting it up, and, and so it's just right in form with that. But, um, but, but Paul wants to remind these believers of something important, which there's a principle in this. Sometimes we spend all kinds of effort trying not to be repetitive in what we're saying. And we try and find a unique way to say it, or we try and... It, pastors struggle with this when it comes to Easter, when it comes to Christmas, because we're talking about the, the resurrection of Christ and the death of Christ, so let's find a unique way to do it. Listen, simple is best. Simple is best. Straightforward is best. I like it the way that Harry Ironside said, you know, theologian, he said, you, you always have to keep the cookies on the bottom shelf so everybody can get to them. So we don't need to be unique in the way that we present the gospel. And s- sometimes that's our hang-up is we're, we're trying to find a, u- a more unique way to communicate the gospel. Just, just stick to the basics. You know, d- just, just keep it simple. Paul is not going to find a unique way to say what he's going to say here. He's just going to keep it real simple. He's going to tell them, rejoice in the Lord. Or you think like, well, he's already said that multiple times. Exactly. Good preachers repeat themselves. Let me say that again. Rejoice in the Lord. Paul is drawing their hearts back to joy. He's saying, listen, no matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult it might be, rejoice. Rejoice. The word joy, again, by way of reminder, is gladness regardless of circumstance. Our our circumstances ought not determine our joy, folks. They will determine our happiness, right? Happiness comes from the old English word happenstance. That means Whatever's going on in my life determines how I react to it and and whether I'm happy or not. But happiness and joy are two different things. Joy is constant. It does not change regardless of circumstance. So why is it then that maybe some of us aren't filled with joy? Why aren't we filled with joy? Maybe it's because we're relying on the wrong person. Maybe it's because we can't see a way out of the circumstance that we find ourselves in. Again, we just sang a song. God is the God of the impossible, folks. If your eyes are on him, then it doesn't matter what the circumstance is before you. And if you also believe what the Bible says about God, that he's sovereign and that he's allow you to be in this situation. I didn't say he orchestrated the situation, but he's allowed it in your life for a reason. Then you can rejoice. You can be glad in the moment knowing that he has a plan. And that plan is as Jeremiah 29.11 says, it's for your good. It's something that's meant to prosper you. It's not something that's meant to tear you down. God loves you, and he wants to work. He's working in your life for whatever is best for you. Romans 8.28. You know, God, God, now I totally, how can I forget that verse, man? That's like a basic verse. I have to look it up, man. I know the verse, but I can't remember it. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So listen. Rejoice. Maybe you're not rejoicing this morning, and you need a reminder. So Paul says, I have no problem reminding you to have joy. Now, where is our joy birthed from? It's birthed from one place, and we just celebrated it last week. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Jesus said about joy. In John chapter 16, verse 22, he said, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Listen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is your source of joy. It is the source of joy in your life. You can be reminded day after day after day, listen, there is no greater, uh, you know, foe in our lives than death. And Jesus has overcome death. So therefore, Jesus can overcome whatever it is that I'm faced with right now. Amen? You guys are looking at me like I'm saying something strange. That's, that's biblical truth right there, man. 
matter what you find yourself, no matter where you find yourself, you can rejoice because we know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And if he did that, there's nothing he can't do. Amen? Sometimes we lack joy because when hardship comes because we've built on the wrong foundation. We built on the wrong foundation. We started out right. We came to Christ and we, we, we laid our life down, but we started to build, uh, you know, our lives on sort of this faulty ground, which is our own self-reliance. And I can tell you if, if you're doing that, what will happen, and, and that's, by the way, it's, it's someone who comes to Christ and then they become religious. And it's a slippery slope. You come to Christ, you understand the grace that he's given you, but now all of a sudden you're, 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 you're very legalistic and you're looking down your nose at other people and you're thinking, why can't you just get saved? You know, what did it take for you? You know, how long did God wait on you? You know what I mean? It's about grace, but some, it's so easy for us to slip into this religious mindset and start to operate in this legalistic manner where, where we feel like everybody should be where we are. And listen, be careful. But, but here's the thing is you're building on a faulty foundation. And Jesus said it like this in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears the words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his, uh, his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. If you're trusting in yourself, you're building on sand. And the moment hardship hits in your life, your entire world will fall apart. Your entire world will fall apart. But if you build your life on the rock, which is Jesus Christ, and you rely on him alone, Regardless of the hardship that comes, you will withstand it. Let me tell you something. You will have hardship in your life. Jesus promised it. You know, he promised all of us. You know, there are, there are common things that every person, the just and the unjust, deal with. And that is difficulty, hardship. We all deal with it. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not a Christian. You're going to, the, 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 the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And so here's the thing. How do we as Christians weather the storm. We build on the foundation, which is the rock, Jesus Christ. And when those who are in the world see that we're able to weather the storm, they start asking questions. Hey, I know that you just went through this, and how is it that you got through that? Oh, let me tell you about Jesus. He's my rock. Oh, I knew you were religious. No, no, I'm not religious. I'm in a relationship with the creator of the world. And he's able to get me through anything. He may not pull me out of the fire, but he will step into it with me and walk me through it. And he wants to do the same for you. And you have an opportunity to share them with them, you know, what, what that looks like. But if your confidence is not in Jesus and it's in yourself, you're going to fall. You won't have the testimony to share. You know, listen, we're going to deal with hard things. But if you put your trust in Jesus, he will see you through it. He promises to do that. Therefore, we can have joy in every situation. So biblical confidence produces not only biblical joy, but also biblical discernment. Look at verse 2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul is not only reminding us to rejoice but also to beware. That word look out literally means beware, look out. Something is, uh, you know, in your path. Who is he telling them to look out for? For the dogs, the evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. He's all speaking about the same people group. He's talking about the Judaizers. He's talking about false teachers who are coming in and they're teaching a Jesus plus gospel. They're saying, hey, it's fine to believe in Jesus. Jesus is fine, whatever. You believe in Jesus, but you got to be circumcised and you got to follow the law. Wait a second. 
That's totally contrary to what Paul wrote in Galatians. Uh, you know, the whole book of Galatians, it's not about our works. It's about his works. It's not about what we do. It's about what he's done as it relates to salvation. And so Paul is, Paul is reminding these believers to beware. There are people out there that are going to try and sway you away from the grace of God. And let me tell you something. It's tempting. Why? Because our flesh wants to work. We want to contribute. We want to feel like, you know, oh, God, I can, I can help myself to get to you. <laughs> you can't. Don't try it. It'll lead you down an empty road, down a dead end. Paul is telling these guys, beware. Now, he's already reminded them of that in Philippians chapter 1. He talks about there in Philippians 1, 27 and 28, only let this manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you in, or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and listen, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Paul is saying there are evil evil teachers, these, these dogs, these wild scavengers, these vicious, violent, intimidating religious people that are going to come in your midst and they're going to make you feel like you don't understand a thing. They're going to make you feel like, you, like you're, you're, there's no way that you can ever get to God based on the offering that he's given, his son. You have to do more. And listen, I'll tell you what, they're still out there, folks. They're still in our world today. And they're still picking off people one by one, trying to woo us from the grace of God to this works-based religious mentality that will be a dead end. You cannot work your way to God. Jesus is the only way to the Father. He told us that. Paul is reminding these guys that, you know, they are mutilators of the flesh. Now, in one context, if you're thinking of, about the Greeks they, they, the way they worship was literally cutting themselves to mutilate their flesh, literally cut themselves before their gods. But in this context, Paul is using that idea, but he's talking about people who are stuck in Judaism. And he's saying they are mutilators of the flesh. He's saying they're focused on their works mentality. What, how are they mutilating the flesh? Circumcision. Circumcision. Circumcision is the cutting off of the flesh. And we understand the purpose of it. That it was never meant to be a means of salvation. If you look back in the Old Testament when God instituted uh, circumcision, and Paul does a wonderful job in Romans chapter 4 of describing this, this idea of Abraham coming to faith in God and then circumcision, not, the, not before. He, doesn't, he isn't circumcised first and then he's He's declared righteous. He believes in God. He's declared righteous. Then he's circumcised. It's symbolic. The, the idea is, is I am now marked from the rest of the world that I belong to God. It's a, it's, it's a rite. It's a ritual. It's something that God wanted to use in, in a visual format to be able to say like, and, and I don't know how they, uh, you know, knew that they were circumcised and that they, they had that mark, but apparently they, they would know that, but, um, you know, which is weird, but. Uh, but God would use that identifier to say you're my people, to say you're my people. And yet what happens? His people make it a mandate of salvation. It never, ever was meant to be from day one. God was very clear. It was never about your works, never once. That's why animals were sacrificed you know, some of these symbolic things in the Old Testament all point us to Jesus, by the way. All of these symbolisms in the temple, the way the temple was designed, uh, all the things that are in the temple, all point us to Jesus Christ. And one day in the millennial reign, folks, when we are in that temple that is built, and, and there are all of these things going on that will be happening in the millennial reign, we're going to see all of that, and we're just going to be blown away. We're going to think, Oh my gosh, all of these things that pointed the, us to Jesus Christ. And people got stuck in the ritual. They got stuck in tradition and they lost God. And that can happen to you and I. These people were mutilators of the flesh. They were stuck 
and focused on circumcision. Again, I want to reference Romans chapter 4. You can read it later. I'm not going to read it for you, but read Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, and it'll give you a great description of what Paul says about Abraham and, and all of that. Our faith is not by our works. Listen, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That your belief, even, is not of you. It's of God. He put belief in you. What do you do? You act on it. He put belief in you, and you have to act on it. That's faith. Believing without seeing. I don't have to, it's not blind, like I said last week, but you have enough information to make a decision. But you have to act on it. He put that belief in you. You're not super smart and you just came to that realization like, oh yeah, Jesus died for me. I, no, he put that in your heart. He put that belief in your heart. You have to act on it. And that is how you are made righteous. When our confidence is in Christ alone for salvation, we will never, ever be able to be deceived by some other false gospel. You know that? When you know the foundation is Jesus and Jesus alone, you don't have to look very far. It's single, singular, Jesus. That's it. But there are many, many people that have this Jesus plus thing going on where it has to be Jesus plus something else. In this case, it was Jesus plus circumcision and keeping the law. You know what it is in our culture? It's very similar. It's Jesus plus baptism. Or it's Jesus plus, you know, communion. It's Jesus plus, you know, helping little old ladies across the street. There are many, many other, other gospels in our culture today, folks. And we have to beware. Do not be deceived. There is one way to heaven, and it's through Jesus Christ and not anything that you can do. So make sure you, are, you have the correct, if you have the correct confidence, you will never, ever be deceived in that way. So Paul tells us, that, you know, biblical confidence cannot, will, will not only produce biblical joy and biblical discernment, but it will also lead us to biblical worship. Look at verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, remember the story of Jesus and the woman in the well? When he was going through Samaria and he meets this woman at a well and it was all pre-orchestrated from the foundation of the world that he would have this conversation with her and he would tell her everything about her life. And it was, yes, about her life. There was a personal connection there. But there was also something bigger that Jesus was, was defining for this lady that was, by the way, unworthy, unworthy of having this conversation with Jesus. She was unworthy of having a conversation with really anybody in her culture. She was really shunned. She was pushed out. Maybe you feel that way. Well, you're in store. Jesus wants to talk to you. And he sits with this lady at the well, and he begins to describe for her what real worship is. She's confused. She understands that she, you know, number one, she's got, she has all this sin welled up in her life, but also she doesn't understand what real worship is. She's, so so she, she asks him the question about, she says, you know, well, we know. We know that we worship on this mountain, and the Jews worship on this mountain. And Jesus responded to her like this. He said, let me tell you about worship. Let, let me correct you on worship. John chapter 4, verses 21 through 24, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Your worship, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus is telling her that there is a new covenant coming, and that worship is about to change. Not the heart of worship, don't misunderstand, but the, but the, but the way people worship. You see, in the old covenant... People had to go to a place to worship God. They had to, go, they had to go before, you know, priests and all of these different people, and they had to bring their sacrifice, and they had to, listen, it was a lot of work to worship God in the Old Testament. It wasn't simple. You know, you didn't just show up at 9.55, grab your seat, grab your coffee, and, and worship God. It was a lot of work. You came days before. You came in preparation. This was a journey. Some people would maybe 
they, it would be difficult for them to do this a whole bunch, especially if they lived a, lo a long ways away. But God would call every male 20 and older to come every year. It was a difficult thing, not a simple thing. They had to meet with God in a place. But you see, when Jesus came, and this is what he's describing to this woman in the well, he's saying, worship is going to change. It's going to radically shift. It's not going to be about a place. It's going it's it's to be about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, what happens when you come to Christ under the new covenant is you don't have to go to the tabernacle. You are the tabernacle. And the Spirit of God doesn't go and fill the temple. He fills you. And now you have communion with God. He is literally God with us. He's inside of you. And now you are the tabernacle, and you take the presence of God everywhere you go. Jesus was saying, listen, woman, if you want to worship me, then you have to understand. If you want to worship God, the Father, then you need to understand that it's not going to be about a place. It's going to be about relationship, and it's going to be about opening up this. You're going to become the place. You are going to become the tabernacle. And, and, and so we become the, the very presence of God in the world. The Judaizers, they weren't, they weren't worshiping God in this way. They were worshiping God in a religious manner, stuck on, you know, religious and more so traditions of man rather than even the word of God. They made the traditions of man even greater than the word of God. And they were in a legalistic, uh, you know, legalistic uh, religious uh, worship manner. And, and, and Paul is saying, beware of these people. And notice what he says, we are the circumcision because worship has changed. God has cut the flesh off of you and he has he now by his spirit made you alive. You are the circumcision. He's saying it's no longer about Greek or Jew. It's no longer about male or female. It's no longer about slave or free. Jesus Christ has opened up the path for everyone. We are the circumcision. That includes you if you're a believer today. We are the circumcision and it's not about what we've done. It's about the Spirit of God sealing us and filling us and working in our lives to bring glory to Christ. Therefore, we put no confidence in the flesh. And Paul goes on here and he gives us his own personal testimony of what this looks like. He gives us, kind of, you, you want to talk about having confidence in the flesh? Let me give you a little example. And then he goes into his own personal story. Here's what he says, verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks that he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisees, as to a zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and that I may, uh, that I may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of, from the dead. If anyone knew, uh, you know, if anyone could be personally confident in themselves, it was the Apostle Paul. As it related to Judaism and, and being a person who lived his life, you know, as he understood it for the Lord. You know, there are people in this world today that are just like Paul, that are stuck in a religion, that are good people, that really, really believe what they, what they, they really live out what they believe, and, and, and you know, they're, but they're part of a, a faulty belief system, whether it be Mormonism, Jehovah Witnessism. There, there's a lot of great people that you can meet that are stuck in a religious system and, and, and Paul was that guy. The Apostle Paul was that guy in that culture. 
Like he would be the guy to knock on your door and say, hey, let me tell you, I want to tell you about the God in heaven that, that wants to speak. He, he would be the guy to, he, like he was, he, whatever, whatever the case might be, whatever the law was, he did it. He did it perfectly as it relates to as perfect as a man could in relation to the, you know, the sacrificial system of the day and all of that. What I'm saying is, is that Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, they're not your enemy. You know that? They're the, they're the, they're the souls of the new covenant, right? They're, they're people that need to be converted. They're people that need to know the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, but they are not your enemy. And you see, sometimes we can become like Saul in our own way, and we can persecute them. And we start, start hammering down on them as if we're better. You know, I just say be careful because those people need to hear about Jesus. And they, they believe wholeheartedly in what they believe and they're trained in it. And um, I would venture to say that I, I, I know for a fact majority of Jehovah Witnesses, at least, they know their scripture. Why? Because they take discipleship seriously. That's why. And it's not about knowing, but I'm just saying, if you can't defend your faith, you should, you should get discipled in that. You should take that seriously because God wants to use you. Someone will knock on your door one day, and they will say, hey, hello, we're from, you know, the Mormons, or we're from the Jehovah's Witnesses. We want to tell you something uh, about what we believe and all that. Can we come in and all that kind of stuff? And you know what? Majority of you will, get a, will, will, will become afraid and you'll shut your door. You say, no, no, I, I, I'm a Christian. <laughs> shut the door. Wait a second. Have the conversation. Why wouldn't you have? God sent somebody to your house. Have the conversation, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not afraid because I'm, I have confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why are you afraid? Because you can't defend your faith. And I don't mean to step on your toes, but that's the reality, folks. These people believe what they believe, and they believe in a lie. How much more should we know what we believe and be able to defend our faith? We should know, guys, because God's going to send somebody to your door. You're just praying, God, send me, God, use me somehow. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> Man, I'll tell you what, I've had some incredible conversations with people. Do they come to Christ? Maybe not on my doorstep. But I know when they walk away, they heard about Jesus. And I know when they walk away, they might be thinking the same thing about me, but I'm confident in Christ. I have no worries about having a conversation with somebody. I will not be deceived. But I can help those who are deceived to speak into someone. And let me, let me preface that. That sounds kind of prideful. <laughs> you know, from what, I'm not deceived in what I believe, but God has changed my my theology on certain things, so just with that preface, but not as it relates to foundational things, okay? So when somebody knocks on your door, be able to tell them about the real Jesus and be confident in why you believe what you believe. That's why you're here. You're not here because we, we're real hip about teaching the Bible, because we're faithful to teach the scriptures verse by verse, and we don't do it in a fluffy way. We just give you the real truth. That's the reality. That's why you come. And you want to hear that because you want, to be, you want to grow in your faith. And so continue to grow. Paul says, man, I was this guy. I was like those Jehovah's Witnesses. I was like th those Mormons. And you know what? Jesus came to my rescue. And, and, and he gives this pedigree of his life, seven things that he lays out for us. First, he said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That was an incredible rabbit trail right around to back to uh, <laughs> this point here. First, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day, just as the law was commanded. From day one, I followed the law. My parents took me. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was presented to the priest. I did it exactly the way that it was be, to be done from day one. I was, I, you know, he's going to say I was blameless to the law. Again, he was circumcised. The point of it is the outward identifier of those who belong to God in that culture. Number two, he said, I'm of the people of Israel. The Judaizers 
were not necessarily just fully Jewish people. A lot of them were Gentiles who converted to Judaism called a proselyte. Paul is saying, I am not one of them. I am from the tribe of Israel. If I, you, you want to talk about legitimate you know, be, believer in the, the, the Judeos, Judeos, uh, Jewish system, that was me. I, was, I am the, of the tribe of Israel. He goes on. He's a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Thirdly, he was of the tribe of Benjamin. In caste systems as it relates to tribes. This is one of the highest tribes that you can be from. Paul is of the highest tribe of the nation of Israel. Fourthly, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Meaning, he, he, he lived as, to the strictest sense of the law. There was a conservative model of Judaism and there was a more liberal model of Judaism. Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning he took the strict route. He followed it to a T, including traditions, not just the law, but traditions. Fifthly, he was a Pharisee. Again, this is the highest level of devout legalistic Judaism. Sixthly, he was a zealot persecuting the church. Paul, Paul's zeal for God was so great that he absolutely abhorred what he believed God abhorred to the point that he would go out on you know, journey, missionary journeys as a Jew to kill Christians. He was a devout, passionate follower of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he, the problem is he was wrong in what he believed. And there are those out in our culture today. They're called Muslims. And they are passionate about what they believe and they are persecuting the church. What I'm saying is, they're not your enemy. They are also your mission field. Just like the Apostle Paul. He goes on. Seventhly and finally, in the pastoral sense of the word, he was blameless regarding the law. He kept the law. He, he kept what was what was detailed out for him to keep. He did it the way that he was supposed to do it. Again, the idea of being blameless is that he wasn't sinless. He followed the law. When the law said make a sacrifice, he made a sacrifice. When the law said take a Nazarite vow, he took it. Whatever, whatever the law said, he did. He followed it to a T. By outward appearances, Paul was the man. He was the man. But when he came to Christ, his worldly confidence completely and totally shattered. Everything that he thought he was doing for the Lord, he realized that it was to the contrary. It was all about self. It was all about him living for self. And, and he, he goes to the point of saying, man, I count everything that I've done, anything in the flesh that I've done, I count it as rubbish. Now, this word in the Greek is skubulon, and it means literally horse, you know what. <laughs> you guys better not be going around, you know, saying skubulon, you know, we're, we know. We know what it means now. We know. But he's saying, I consider everything that I've done literally animal excrement. All this religious stuff that I did is absolutely worthless. It was absolutely worthless. Where is my value? He said, my value now that I've been enlightened is to know the surpassing knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is, his whole, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. His total focus now is growing in Christ. The Apostle Paul continued to grow in Christ. He never stopped. That was his pursuit. Everything else he considered rubbish. Paul was saying that his religious works were as it as is written in Isaiah 64, 6, filthy rags before God, that he couldn't stand righteous on his own. Nothing more than menstrual rags. Use menstrual rags. That's what it means to have 
his righteousness was like filthy rags before God. And listen, that was a great place for him to be, and that's a great place for you to be. It's a great place for you to be where you know that you can't work your way to God. You can't do it. But thankfully, he's worked his way to you through the cross, through the grave, that he's opened up a way for you. And Paul says, now I'm, I'm going to live I'm going to live by grace through faith in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is power in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, folks. It's not just something we believe that's arbitrary, man. It is important. There's power in it. When we believe that Jesus literally rose from the dead, what can he not do in our life? We could do anything. There's power in that belief. The power that Paul now sought did not come from keeping the law, but by knowing Christ and his resurrection. He's now living a life of selflessness and suffering. I'll do whatever you call me to do, God. I will, wherever you put me, I will. And that's why he reminds us to have joy. Because he was suffering for Christ. He's in a jail cell for Christ. He suffered beating after beating after beating for Christ. If somebody could write on the subject of suffering for Christ, it was the Apostle Paul. He knew how to suffer. But he lived that selfless life. And he gave himself over to this thing called biblical confidence. That brings us to a question today. Where is your confidence held? Who are you trusting in? Are you trusting in your works? Are you trusting in Christ's works? Are you trusting in your ability to keep the law? Or are you trusting in Christ's ability to keep the law? Listen, religion is a dead end. It's relationship that God is after. He wants to be in relationship with you. And let me say something. When you're in relationship with God, you will naturally want to do what he says. You will naturally want. It won't be a legalistic, I have to, it's I get to. It's not going to be, you're going to naturally want to do what his word says. His word says, don't do this. Okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. And then when you fail at it, or if you fail at it, then you, you know that there's grace there, and you can apply that grace in your life, and you can repent of that sin, and you can ask God to forgive you, and he will. Could you imagine being stuck in a system where you had to work your way out of your trouble, uh, work your way out of your sin, work your way out of all the, all the, ish, all the, 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 the decisions that you've made? all the you know, horrible things that you've done, you have to work your way out of it, that would suck, man. And I'm so thankful that that, that, that is not us, that we don't have to um, live that way. That is a weight that is too heavy for us to carry, folks. That's why Jesus came. Are you trusting in yourself? Are you trusting in Christ? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we thank you for just... Uh, Reminding us, God, that the foundational truth of what biblical confidence looks like, Lord, that it is trust in Christ and Christ alone. We ask you this morning that if we are deceived in any way, Lord, we are trusting in anything else, that we would come, that we would repent, Lord, we would turn away from those things, and we would receive grace this morning. You're here, you want to pour out grace on us, Lord. You want us to be in right relationship with you, not in dead religion. There's nothing we can do to reach you, Lord. You've done it all. So would you come now? Would you speak to our hearts? And would you move in this place as only you can? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.